كشيخ تفضل ان شاء الله تعالى بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين واصلي واسلم على سيد الاولين والاخرين نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم All praise are due to Allah, Lord of the worlds. Peace and blessings be constantly showered upon our beloved Prophet Muhammad, the master of the first and the last, and upon his family, his companions, and all those who call to his way and establish his sunnah and give his guidance to the day of judgment. As to what follows, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed us with another opportunity to reflect to reflect upon his mercy on the last ummah, the last nation of the prophets that would come from the beginning of time, that ummah of Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And one of the unique parts of this ummah that the Prophet, peace be upon him, had described is that he was not sent only to his tribe, but he was sent to every nation and to every tribe and to the jinn creatures from smokeless fire. And so this is a nation whose message had to cross barriers of environment, ethnicity, language, politics. His job was to give the message to all of humanity. And within 100 years, the message of Islam in its final form had gone far east to China. They had gone far north up to Chechnya and Dagestan. They went deep south on the Swahili coast. They went far to the west, to Morocco, and even looked across the Atlantic. And this is what could be called the known world. And so what was known at that particular time to the people living in the Mediterranean region, North Africa, East Africa, much of Asia, the major civilizations, uh, Islam had reached, the message of Islam had reached the people. And this is unique because there is no other message, there is no other religion, there's no conqueror who was able to go so far with his message. And the people are still uh, believing and functioning by the message. And so in order for this to happen, there had to be major incidents that happened because you're literally going from one environment and you switch to another environment. You're going from one civilization and then you switch into this new civilization. And so what we are looking at is pivotal moments of the switch. Also, we are looking at points where there was a danger for the Muslim world to be totally destroyed and it pivoted. An about face happened, a change went on and Muslims were able to continue, not only continue, but to thrive and and to reach new borders uh, and to reach new people. And so these pivotal moments There are some, of course, which you would expect to get in the life of Prophet Muhammad We want to look at some of the pivotal moments that may not be so well known by the Muslim world and to people and to bring out uh, these pivots in a new light. And with this in mind, we recall the last session uh, that we were looking at It was a great pivot of Islam entering into Europe itself. And the place where the Muslims entered is now called Gibraltar. And this was originally in Arabic, it was called Jebel Tariq. So you can see how names even pivot themselves from Jebel Tariq to Gibraltar. Ardal Burtaqal, the land of Burtaqal, right? Oranges. Burtaqal. Portugal. So you see how language can pivot. Civilizations can pivot. In this case, the Muslims did not cross from Africa into Europe for imperialistic reasons. They did not cross to plunder. 
they had enough land, they had enough riches and wealth in North Africa that would last them for centuries. Because if you really look at the map of North Africa, not in the way that comes in most of our textbooks, but in reality on the ground, it's a huge place. Libya itself, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, going to Egypt, all the way across and then going down into the Sahara, to the Great Desert. It's a huge area. And so there was so much, there were so many great civilizations and the Amazigh people, the Berber people, had been there for thousands of years. And so the Muslims were busy spreading Islam, establishing the call to, the, to the righteousness, establishing the Quran, the message from the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so at that point, a message came to them based upon Ilian or Julian, who was the Spanish Christian leader living in Ceuta or Sabta. And this is that small point that sort of sticks up from Morocco. And on the other side is Gibraltar. So that little section there, it's still Spanish controlled. But they lived under the Muslims, the Muslims controlled, and they paid the jizya, they paid the, the, the poll tax. And they were subjects uh, of the Muslim leaders because that's the way Islam is built. Minorities can live underneath Islam as long as they follow the basic civil uh, laws within the society itself. And so Ilian got a message from Spain. He had sent his daughter. He was Spanish himself. He sent his daughter to Toledo, which was the educational and political capital uh, at the time. And she was raped by King Roderick of the Visigoths. And Roderick was the emissary or the representative of the Catholic Church the Trinitarian Catholic Church. And it was that struggle now between unity and polytheism, monotheism, polytheism, Tawhid Shirk. This is the struggle of the, of the region and the world itself. And so on, on the Iberian Peninsula, which is now known as Portugal and Spain, there were the Vandal people who were Gothic people. They were European origin, but they refused to accept the Council of Nicaea. And although they were Christians, uh, they were considered to be uh, heretics. And so the Visigoths were dispatched by the Trinitarian Roman Church, and they took over the land, and they were imposing the Trinity on the people. They were also imposing their taxes uh, on the people. And at the same time, around 586 B.C., a group of Jewish people who were ex exiled from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, they made their way into Spain and they thrived. And of course, they are believers in one God. So a struggle was going on and Ilian was offended by his daughter being raped. He wanted revenge and he, he made it known to the leader of the Muslims, whose name was Musa, been Nusayr. And Musa, you can see at the bottom of your screen, he's there in uh, his base of Qairawan, which is Tunisia. When he heard about this, he sent across his forces, Ilian had to prove himself, and he did, that he was serious, it was not a trick. And Musa sent uh, his general, Tariq bin Ziyad, he was Amazigh of the Berber people, fluent in Arabic, fearless leader, tireless, uh, innovator and, and, and change, and he was a great man. And Tariq then went across and defeated um, the forces of Roderick in 711. That was the pivot point that we studied because it was there the Muslim forces were in Europe now. Tariq went forward. In 712, Musa followed Tariq, and within a short time, they had taken over the whole of the Iberian Peninsula, except for some craggy mountain area, Lyon, far in the north. 
This was unprecedented because the cities, uh, whether it's Granada or Toledo or Valencia or Seville or, or Cordoba, they were surrounded by walls and they were well watered and they had food. It would take months for a small group like what the Muslims had. But no, the people opened their doors, especially the Jewish people, because they knew that the Muslims believed in one God and they were not forcing people to accept their religion. And so the Muslims then moved rapidly throughout Spain, unprecedented. And this was something that the people hadn't known for years. The taxes were lifted for the most part. They were not forced to be Trinitarians or any religion. It was a sense of freedom. Uh, and they went up the rivers, Qualdivir, Wadi al-Kabir. They went right up, uh, beautiful places. And it was for 40 years that the people of Al-Andalus enjoyed this uh, type of freedom. And But the problem that they faced is that Spain is a very big area and a lot of ter terrain it has its own politics. And so their leadership was coming from Qairawan in Tunisia. That's where Musa bin Nusayr and, and the, the leadership of the Muslims or Damascus because the Muslims at that time were ruled by Benu Umayyah. That's the Umayyads. And that's a long distance things started to get out of control. And people have their tribalism. They were the newly uh, found or the newly immigrated uh, Arabic-speaking people who came along with the forces. They were the Amazigh people, the Berbers of North Africa. They were West Africans. They were the European people themselves. And there's Christians, there's Jews, there's Muslims. There's a lot going on, and without central leadership, it becomes very difficult. And so this is a point. It's like a fork in the road. Either it would just be a conquest that would be lost, or it would turn into something amazing. And it's at that point that we have our pivot, and that pivot was in the form of uh, Amir Abdurrahman ibn Muawiyah. Now, this is a strange pivot because it's not something which is a movement or it's not a great battle, but it is the entrance of an individual. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised up this person. <clears throat> the circumstances that were facing his people the Umayyad dynasty, were such that he was forced to leave from Damascus and he ended up in Spain. How is this possible? The man is Abdurrahman ibn Muawiyah, and it's not Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan. It's Abdurrahman ibn Muawiyah, ibn Hisham, ibn Abdul Malik, ibn Marwan. Okay, so this is the Umayyad dynasty, right? Marwan al-Hakam, and it goes up right to Muawiyah himself. So this is down from the original Umayyads. And the Umayyads at that time uh, had gone through that cycle. It's like almost 100 years. And it's not the same as it originally was. That original spirit was not there in the beginning. Not there that was in the beginning was not there now. And so uh, there were rumblings going on. And in many cases, the Arabs were given pre preference, especially in Iraq, in the area of the Persians. And so this was a mistake because Islam is not based upon uh, race or tribe. It is uh, a meritocracy. The person with the most merit is supposed to be the one uh, who's in, the, in leadership. And so a rumbling was going on. And a movement developed, which was led by Benu Abbas, called the Abbasids. And they overthrew the Umayyads. Now, of course, this is a long uh, history. You need to read you know, some of the details about it. But they overthrew the Umayyads. And 
with this politics and tribalism in mind, they wanted to wipe out the Umayyads. They did not want to have any of them left. So they went about um, killing the Umayyads so that they would be the dynasty that would rule. Of course, this is not Sunnah. This is not Islamic. But this is what happens when people are dealing with their humanity, their tribalism, and, and sometimes they are going off the path. And so these are the circumstances. It's a coup. Uh, it's a destruction of a ruling class. Another ruling class is coming in. The Umayyads are, are, are being liquidated, male and female. And there's only a few of them left. And so uh, Abdurrahman, Ibn Muawiyah, and his brother uh, Yahya, they leave from Damascus. There's also um, a servant that they had named Beda, who becomes a very important person uh, in their quest. And this is a beautiful story, by the way. They, a movie should be made uh, out of this. And so um, Abdurrahman and Yahya then flee. They go to the Euphrates River. And they're, they're going along the Euphrates. And the uh, Abbasids send their assassins. So they send a special team to find everybody. And they heard about them, and then they chased them. And literally, you have the Euphrates. They jump into the Euphrates. And they're moving west uh, over the Euphrates from the eastern uh, bank. And Yahya is tired, and uh, he hears the, the, the assassins uh, say that, we'll take care of you. Don't worry. Everything is all right. We'll, we'll spare your life. We'll take you back. Uh, it's just a political change. But Abdurrahman is very cunning and intelligent. He said, don't do it. But Yahya was weak. So he went back and just imagine uh, Abdurrahman is in the water. He turns around, sees his brother go to the shore. They immediately, you know, kill him, cut his head off, uh, send it back to their leadership. And uh, Abdurrahman continues. He's now running for his life. And he meets his servant Beda, and they move through Palestine. They go down into Egypt. So now they are underground, um, hiding their identity, and they are moving from place to place. This is an amazing story. And they finally enter Egypt. Now, what is important to recognize about Abdurrahman? Number one, when all this is happening, He's only 20 years old. So he's still a young man, highly intelligent, um, natural leader, circumstances that are around him. Another important point is that his father is of the Benu Umayyah, but his mother, uh, Raha, she was a Mazikh. She was a Berber. So it's an Arab father and a Berber mother. So therefore, he has roots in North Africa. This is the will of Allah, right in play in front of your eyes. So he goes to Egypt, and then they recognize that he is an Umayyad, and he's a, but he's Berber. So they say, you should go west, especially now that the Umayyad dynasty uh, is being destroyed. Cairo is not safe. And you can see, even there, there are so many stories, and one of his relatives um, because he is of the Nafsa uh, clan of the Berbers, and one of his relatives in Cairo, now that the, the Abbasids reach this area, and, and they're looking for him, and she literally hides him amongst the women's things. So he's literally hiding in the dresses and whatnot. He's got to do anything to survive. And he makes it out, and he heads toward Tunisia. And Tunisia, at that time, the rulers still had the feeling of Benu Umayyah because it was the Umayyads who sent them there. It was the Umayyads who established uh, the, 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 the dynasty there. They established the rule, the Khilafat, uh, in that area. And Musa bin Nusayr was coming directly out of Umayyad leadership. And so Abdurrahman Rahimahullah Ta'ala uh, reaches that area and the leadership there recognizes very intelligent move. And they they tell him that um, you should go to Al-Andalus. 
These are the ulama of Qaydawan. And remember that the Maliki school of thought is developed in uh, Qaydawan itself, the Sahnun, uh, and the great scholars. There's, there's a lot of wisdom uh, in that city at the time, and especially going into uh, Al-Andalus. And so uh, Abdurrahman, along with Beda, they make it across and they slip in and they find people who can still relate to the Umayyad dynasty. Because remember, there's no internet, there's no television, there's no radio. Information is just coming to them by written uh, uh, notes or somebody who eventually after months tells them what's happening. Uh, and so their loyalty is still to Ben Umayyah. And uh, there's a lot of rumbling going on. This, again, the 40 years, first it's freedom, it's relaxation, but people need order. People need central leadership in their lives. And so um, rumbling is happening, and the whole thing was about to fall apart, and then the people started to relate to Abdurrahman. This is the perfect person to come at that time because he is from Benu Umeya, and so they still have a loyalty uh, to that great dynasty of Muslim leaders. Secondly, he's, he's Amazigh. He's from, his family's from North Africa. So he's not a foreigner in that sense. He combines uh, these qualities in terms of nationalism or tribalism. At the same time, He's a highly intelligent person. And he is the fit person. The ulama say, Lola Abdurrahman, Lantahel Islam fil Andalus. They say if it wasn't for Abdurrahman, Islam would have been finished in Al Andalus. That beautiful history that we know, 781 years plus, gone, would not have made it. But the pivot, then happens with the presence of Abdurrahman. And this picture that you see here is actually because the Spanish even recognize him now, and they made uh, a statue of him. It's in Malaga, because this is, uh, this is where he landed, approximately. And there was talk about a film to be made. There's a famous Spanish actor, um, Antonio Banderas. He wants to play Abdurrahman. So you, you can imagine, this because he's from Malaga uh, himself, and th this is a, something of pride. So for the Spanish now, who in the past hated Muslims, things are turning around. And they recognize that this is one of the heroes, not just of Moorish history or of Islamic, but it is one of the heroes of Spain itself. And so um, Abdurrahman then comes in, Remember, it's around 755 uh, that the Umayyad dynasty fell and um, the epic journey uh, of Abdurrahman then takes place. So this is your pivot. This is your change that is happening now, which is going to impact everything. So there in your picture, there is Al-Andalus uh, and the Mediterranean region is there. Look at the journey that he takes all the way across North Africa and into Al-Andalus. This is not easy because this is by foot, camel, donkey, horseback, mule, boat, whatever possible way. It could be without money, without wealth, young man. He stays with people. So it takes him a long period of time to get across. But he finally reaches this fair-seeming part of the world. This is Al-Andalus. This is an amazing place uh, that has uh, an amazing possibility. So this is around 755. You can look around this point, and his, his period is going to about 787. <coughs> and very important person. Now, what does he do? He, after rallying the people around him, and dealing with opposition, another part of him is that he was really strong, some say even ruthless, uh, against his opposition. Uh, and so he was a strong leader, like a Umar ibn Khattab, you know, Radhiallahuan type of person. And so um, he established the leadership of the Umayyads. 
He didn't call it that because he, he called himself an emir and they related to him as an emir. And, but the loyalty to Benu Umayyah was there. And so the, the, the change happens and he looks at the area. The former capital was Toledo. That is to a little bit above the center, but just below in a desert region, which is similar to what the Muslims knew in Syria and the Arabian Peninsula, he establishes Cordoba or Cordoba, and he makes it the capital. Now, these coins that you see on the screen, these are actually coins minted during the time of Benu Umayyah. So, so they literally eventually were minting coins, and um, this is a serious change that is going about. What did he do? Let's look at the steps that he made uh, to make this pivot. And, and, and this is also training for leadership. And what does the leader do? Does the leader just come in and sit on the throne? No, he thought strategically. And because Islam is based upon the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and because the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu one of the first activities that he did was that he established the masjid. Remember the three activities that happened when the hijrah came. We studied this in the hijrah time. First, it was to strengthen the relationship of the believers with Allah, and that is all-purpose Islamic center. Second, that is to establish brotherhood between the believers. And third, is to strengthen the relationship of believers to people of other faiths. And that's with the constitution. So Abdurrahman is following this prophetic model. And there's a huge place that is there. It was originally uh, a pagan temple, indigenous people. And then it turned into a pagan uh, temple of the Romans. So the Roman belief then came in. And then Catholicism came in and it turned into a cathedral. And now it was being shared by the Muslims and shared by the Christians. It's the center of the town. So the town is built around this uh, structure and the courtyards uh, and what that is around. So Abdurrahman then purchases the building. Now, key point here. He gives 100,000 dinars to the Christian inhabitants. He's respecting their religion, respecting their house of worship. And he now begins to develop uh, this uh, former cathedral to be the, the, the Jamia, uh, Masjid al Jamia of Cordoba. This is not only the largest house of worship in Spain, but it is probably the largest in the whole of Western Europe. Now, remember, on the eastern side, you have Constantinople, the Hagia Sophia. But on this side, this is the largest house of worship. So he establishes it. Also, how does he establish it? He establishes as this all-purpose uh, Islamic center. So there's not only prayer being done inside, but there is also ta'lim, education. There is welfare going on, the poor being fed. Uh, people are learning about Islam, entering Islam. So this was amazing. And the succeeding leaders added on to this masjid. <clears throat> until it became literally one of the wonders of the world. It was an amazing place. Now, while this was happening, the Abbasids were establishing their rule. And news came to them that an Umayyad had escaped. And he reached all the way to the former far-flung territory of the Umayyads uh, in Al-Andalus. So Al-Mansur, who was the Khalifa of the Abbasids, he sent his people, a hit squad, we call it today, he sent soldiers out to eliminate Abdurrahman, to end his influence. But Abdurrahman was a highly intelligent person. And this force that, that was sent to deal with him was defeated. And um, when the defeat got back to Mansur, they asked him, what should we do? 
Al-Mansur said, leave this man who was Saqqar Quraysh. Leave him. He is the falcon of Quraysh. Now, this is politics. But he's even quoted as saying, you know, I'm glad there's a sea in between me and this man. This is, this is his negative power side. Um, but he, he respects the qualities. And they say, why would you say something like this? He's an Umayyad. And he said, no, he's a young man. He lost his family. He escaped from Syria through Iraq. He goes all to Egypt, across North Africa, into Al-Andalus. He doesn't have an army with him. He doesn't have wealth. And he's able to establish rule. This, has, this is an amazing feat. And so this name, Saka Quraysh, the falcon of Quraysh. And a, fal a falcon is a beautiful bird, highly intelligent warrior bird. Uh, and so this is a fitting title uh, for Abdurrahman. They also call him, and you'll see this in some of the books, uh, Abdurrahman al-Dakhil. And that means uh, Dakhil is the one who's entering into and they say, uh, He was the first to enter Kortaba from Benu Umeya as a ruler. Okay, so this is the first Umayyad ruler. He's a dynasty person who now comes into Kortaba and, and makes it as his capital. Now, he's a leader. How would you function as a leader? Think of Sunnah. Because the Prophet sets the example. And those, the closer the leader can get to his sunnah, is, is the more likely he will be successful in this life and the hereafter. What did Abdurrahman do? He walked amongst the people without bodyguards. He was accessible to people. He um, became engaged uh, in the affairs of the people on the ground. He would give Juma khutbah as well. So he was learned. People get to hear from him on a regular basis. But he would also disguise himself in regular clothes and he would walk amongst the people. And this is amazing. This is what Umar used to do, عنه, to go amongst the people. And even and Abdurrahman used to do that as well. And he would question people. What do you think about Amir Abdurrahman? Because he wanted to know whether he was ruling successfully or whether he was an oppressor. And so this is an amazing quality. And, and, and when the leader comes down with the people, okay, this is one of the most important aspects of leadership. When the leaders start to get separated from the people and then hide themselves behind closed doors, when they barrier themselves and have hundreds and hundreds of bodyguards around them, this is the beginning of the end. Abdurrahman turned it around. He also brought scholars. Scholars came from North Africa, even other parts uh, of the Muslim world. He even said those who, are, who have their feeling for Benu Umeya, come to Al-Andalus. So there were people coming even from Syria, Arabia, from all over different parts of the, of the then Muslim world. And they were going there and he sat down. Let's look at this land and strategically, what can we do? And so strategically, they uh, uh, developed, uh, they uh, em embellished, they beautified Al-Andalus. The Romans, who are great leaders, in a sense, powerful leaders, and organized and a high civilization, they brought in water on aqueducts. So that was an amazing achievement. But when the Romans fell, the aqueducts were basically destroyed only the foundations were left. Abdurrahman then refurbished the aqueducts, extended them, made them more useful, and you will actually see how the aqueducts lead into smaller channels that lead to tiny channels that can go right into your house, and so you can actually have running water. And that's an amazing thing uh, at that point in history. And so... He established running water uh, in the cities, especially in Cordoba. And 
he had the scientists study the land. And they recognized that in terms of plant life, it was fear-seeming for citrus fruits, also pomegranates, and uh, different type of the dates, of course, and different types of fruits were brought in and, 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 and vegetables and orchards and gardens were made. This is upward mobility. This is what a leader is supposed to do, not hoarding the money to himself and living a good life and his people are starving to death, even as you see in the world today. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. No. So this is an example for all times. He, he used the wealth to raise the standard of the society itself. And an amazing study is done. He's looking at the type of soil, uh, what can be planted, the environment, even pomegranate itself that you know uh, is really Pum de Granada. It is the apple of Granada because this is where it's really uh, came into its uh, development. We still say pomegranate, uh, Pum de Granada, the apple of Granada. And so this is another amazing thing. So he's helping the people. He's taking care of the welfare of the masses of the people. Okay, this is a great leader. He then empowers the people themselves. He builds hospitals. So now, if you got running water, you have tahara. Then hospitals, clinics, places to wash up and to be clean. And he develops schools and public baths. Now, that's something that was not known in Europe. Even the monks would go years without bathing, and it was, it was like a badge of honor. So bathing and public works, places where you could get waters, as in the city up until now, you will see fountains that are there in strategic places in, uh, in the ancient cities from this time. And, and, and this is something not known in most of the world because generally this running water and this uh, progress is for the rich people. <clears throat> but he did it for the whole city. Then he made a very important move. He established free education for children right up. Christian, Jewish, Muslim. Not just for the Muslims and everybody else becomes ignorant. Education for all, free. So that every child would have reading, writing, and arithmetic. He also established schools for trade skills. Carpentry, plumbing, farming, metalwork. He establishes uh, weaving, and, and he even allows trade unions. So they literally had Weaver's Trade Union, Silversmiths Group, and this is how the major Islamic cities are there. You see a section where all the silversmiths are working. You see a section where there are people doing leather crafts. And so he's literally establishing the basis of modern civilization. These are the things you take for granted. You think it's the Romans. It's not the Romans. It is the Muslims who are doing it. Abdurrahman al-Dakhil, Rahimahullah. He is the pivot point. He, he's making a base here for a major change, not only in Spain, but in Europe. And you could say, to a certain extent, the world. And um, these uh, changes, these advancements were amazing things. Now just imagine you're living under the Visigoths, you're taxed, you're hated, you have no education, you have no medical facilities, and suddenly now a change comes about. There's running water, you're, you're being educated as to the use of water, tahara, and, and, and medicine, um, Facilities are there around you. Agriculture is there. Beautiful things. You, you are literally, they even planted a type of naranj. It's a type of orange that, that you know, it, it doesn't really, it stays on the tree. You don't eat it, but it beautifies the tree. <clears throat> so literally, you would have these trees that all are around. Uh, you would have running water. Uh, Muslims are busy. They're making five salat. You know, they're busy doing their activities. They're defending the borders of Islam. 
So naturally, people of the book, especially those who did not accept the Trinity, because these are Unitarians now. Remember the concept of Unitarians. So Unitarians are here. So it's easy, especially for the Christians, because Muslims believe in Jesus and Mary, Isa salam, as a great prophet, born without a father, Mary a virgin. May Allah be pleased with them both. That's within Islamic beliefs. So once the veil of propaganda and lies is, is taken away, it's easy for a sincere Christian, especially one who is a monotheist, uh, to easily embrace Islam. And it happened. And so they came in in droves. The Jewish people, of course, they have more of a foundation, but there were Jewish people also accepting Islam. And so Muslims are growing in number, not because waves of hostile Moors, colored people coming in from North Africa, like the Spanish put in their textbooks. No. It is because of the progress, the upward mobility of Islamic society. This picture here, you look at it and you say, oh, that's a Moorish palace. And yes, it is built in the style uh, of, a, of a Muslim uh, palace. It's called Al-Khazar. And up until today, if you go to Seville, and you'll see it, Al-Khazar, people, this is one of the major tourist attractions, and you will go there. But what's strange, you say, because, you know, it looks like Granada, Alhambra. And Alhambra is the great palace of Granada. And that's where the Muslims were for their last 250 years. But why is this like this? That is because Pedro I, who ruled from 1364 to 66, um, the, when the Christians had taken over this territory, remember this is hundreds of years after the beginning times, but when they had taken over, he fell in love with Muslim society. So he hired um, architects, and builders to come from the lands of Granada and to build a replica of the Alhambra. And this is amazing because when finally Granada did fall, um, the, the Alhambra after years fell into disrepair. And so you don't, they had to sort of build it back. But this, in the style of Alhambra, because it's a palace, and so from Pedro I, other Spanish kings and queens uh, they would live part of their time in the palace, and they took care of it. So you will literally see um, some of that original Andalusian design, the color combinations, uh, the type of architecture that they developed with the running water. You'll see it there in this Al-Qazar, Al-Qasa, that's where Al-Qazar comes from. You see it in Seville. So if you get a chance to visit uh, Spain, make sure you go to Seville. And you go to uh, Al-Qasa, Al-Qazar, and you'll see that right near it is also a huge cathedral. That's where the Jamia Masjid was. There's a minaret there, which was later built by uh, Al-Muwahidun, Al-Muhades, right? But for our intents and purposes, we're going back to the time of Abdurrahman al-Dakhil. And just after him is his successor and his successor. People are coming into Islam. Peaceful. There's no forcible conversion uh, that is going on. And so Abdurrahman and his uh, successors, they made amazing achievements. And around the year 1000 AD, uh, Cordoba was one of the largest cities in the world. It had over 200,000 houses, 600 mosques, masjids, 900 public baths, 50 hospitals, this is something which is unprecedented <coughs> in Europe itself. And um, the, the sign or, or one of the um, epic statements that you'll find in many of their buildings, and you'll see it on the right, it says, Nobody can conquer you except Allah. And so that was the spirit. And it, it, it propelled them to make amazing achievements. So here's your pivot now. Here's your pivot. This is one of the largest cities on earth. Some say the largest on earth. And these dynasty, the rulers, the Umayyads, they established an amazing dynasty. Now, 
Around the year uh, from 912 to 962, 50 years, a ruler comes in, Abdurrahman III, who is uh, Abdurrahman al-Nasir Lidinillah. Abdurrahman al-Nasir, we'll call So Abdurrahman al-Nasir, Rahimahullah, he has that spirit uh, of his great-great-grandfather, Abdurrahman I, and uh, he is tireless leader, powerful, he has great ideas, and but he wants to take it a step further because the Abbasids are now struggling to survive. And they're actually crumbling now. The, the corruption has set in. There is also a large Shiite dynasty uh, there in uh, North Africa. You will find the uh, Ismailis. They first established themselves uh, in Tunisia, and then they moved over to, uh, to Egypt. There's also another group of Hassaniya. Uh, they're actually in Fez, Morocco. So there's Khalifas all over the place. So Abdurrahman and Nasir makes a move. And he said, we are the most stable uh, of all the leadership. <clears throat> we also are controlling our country. We have great scholars here, Islamic universities. We are making Hajj. Some of the great scholars that you know, uh, uh, Al-Qurtabi, you know, the great Tafsir Al-Qurtabi. He's from Cordoba. Ibn Hazm, you know, so many great scholars came uh, from this region itself. So it's a very important place. It is the seat bed of Maliki fiqh. So Abdurrahman al-Nasir um, makes a bold move. He said, I am announcing that I am Amir al-Mu'minin. I am the Khalifa of the Muslim world. That's a bold statement to make. And in order to make a statement like that, you got to have something to prove it. Not just something you inherited from your great-great-grandfather. No. So he, 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 he comes about to build one of the wonders of the world. And this is called Medina to Zahra. And it's an amazing site. Today, if you go to Spain, um, in Cordoba, there is an archaeological site that is still there. It's a World Heritage uh, Site. And the Aga Khan, actually, and other uh, philanthropic people, uh, you know, develop, helped to develop it. UN came in, UNESCO came in. Now, if you look at this picture, because this is an archaeological site, you'll see columns on your right, and then it goes down. The green goes way down. Now, the second light green, there's a road that is down there, that it is believed that Medina to Zahra, this wonder city, reached all the way down there. They've only excavated maybe about 25% of it. All of this, with years going by and time and neglect, it actually was covered over by the grass. And it's being excavated now, and it's an amazing site. So Abdurrahman al-Nasir has one of the wonders of the world. And he establishes himself. And this is an important point, because where's your pivot now? People generally think that Europeans, when they related to the Muslim world, they looked east. Okay, But from Switzerland and from Germany and France, delegations were going west. So the Khalifa was in the west of Europe. Okay, That's a pivot. And... Um, Amazing achievements went on. Abdurrahman al-Nasir, 50 years uh, of rule. And his uh, family came after that. Rumbling started to happen. But Cordoba had reached its heights. They even had large markets. It is said 15,000 weavers. Imagine this in the marketplace. The streets of Cordoba were lit 10 miles in any direction, running water. It took Paris and London 700 years to achieve this. 700 years. Think about this. Because if that's the case, and if Muslims here in uh, Toledo and Cordoba and Granada and then in Baghdad and in other parts of the Muslim world, Cairo and Timbuktu and, you know, uh, Qadawiyin, Qaydawan, 
other places. This is the Renaissance. So the real Renaissance of Europe happened here. And the European scholars would sit at the foot of Muslims and they would gain their knowledge. That's where your Renaissance comes from. Even one uh, scholar, I mean, he's even mentioned that you even see how you got this black robe and you're wearing something on. This is all taken from uh, the Muslims, the graduation ceremonies. It's the university system. Uh, Oxford University, the top university in, in, in England, um, if you look into one of the old libraries where the founder established, you'll see Arabic writing there because they were literally bringing over Arabic texts and translating them. The Renaissance of Europe was translation. Pivot. The pivot came about uh, from Abdurrahman. And so in Al-Andalus, Jews, Christians, Muslims living together harmoniously, convivencia is what a term they're using today, uh, most populous, industrious land in Europe itself. Okay, it was flourishing. Even Jewish scholars would tell you this is the golden age of Jewish literature, Maimonides. It's during this time. So this comes about. This is an amazing change. And this is a stamp coming out of Portugal recently. And it is saying the Qanun de uh, Avancina. It's really a Qanun, you know, which is the law of Ibn Sina. But you see, they even reached the point where they're not going to lie. And, and the person in the stamp is a Muslim. So times are changing and people are recognizing what has happened. But I want to remind you also, because question may come with all this great achievement and how did it fall? And this is where we need to critically study uh, Andalus, critically study what happened. There's Ibn Khaldun's cycle of rule. And that is that when dynasties are established, the beginning, they live by their morals, they're strong, they're powerful, their children still have that same spirit, but the next generation maybe is born in the palace. So they start to get weak and they start to lose it. And so it's almost like a hundred year cycle in a sense um, that, that you see dynasties go up and go down. And this um, theory in his Muqaddama, Ibn Khaldun, that's why he's called the father of uh, sociology. Um, so this started to kick in. And you can literally see, um, this is probably the best study, I would say, in the world to study the cycle. From our point of view, and we need to benefit from this, what happened? Wealth. When too much wealth starts pouring in. Also, fighting with each other, arguing disputing, and then disunity. Once the disunity comes, then your enemies start to pour in. Corruption comes. You can't blame your enemies because it started inside of yourself. And it's only if there is a revival that comes afterwards that you can return uh, to your original uh, sources and your original strength. Okay, so this is uh, the example of Al-Andalus, um, it is a shining civilization, uh, 781 years plus that it is there. It's a good example of the rise and fall of Islam. But for us, there was a pivot that happened around 751, remember, right? In the 750s, it was Abdurrahman, as the ulama said, Lola Abdurrahman, if it wasn't for this man, Abdurrahman, Adakhil, Islam would have been finished in Al-Andalus. Not only what would have done, that would have destroyed the Renaissance, the Renaissance of Muslim lands in the West, but also the West itself, European Renaissance. It influenced the world. So this is an important pivot uh, in uh, Islamic history. And this is an important individual to study. If you want to study leadership, then this is one of the people you should use as a model. Not perfect. He was kind of ruthless, you know, with his opposition. But he, he tried his best to go to the sunnah. And so when you see these qualities, 
uh, you see to the power of Allah Azza wa manifest and the pivoting coming and the changing of the course of history. So I want to leave you with these thoughts here and I want to uh, open up the floor uh, for any questions uh, that you may have. I'll take this down. And uh, we want to open up the floor and see if there are any questions. Uh, people are coming from different parts. And uh, the question, you can put it into a question area. You can put it in the chat uh, as well. Uh, this will be online uh, for you. And, uh, you know, I want to um, give something extra now. This can come back on the screen. Um, and that is, I want to give you some references. So if you can see this, um, there's Ahmed Thompson, who's a British writer, and Atar Rahman. Uh, they, they wrote a book called For Christ's Sake. That's literally the name of the book. Okay, Ahmed Thompson also has Islam in Andalus. So this is a very important book. Michael Barry, if you want to get a European writer, Homage to Al-Andalus, The Rise and Fall of Islamic Spain. There's also um, S.E. Al-Jazairi. He's done some amazing work, The Golden Age and Decline of Islamic Civilization. Very important. You could also go to Firas Al-Khatib, Lost Islamic History. Uh, I have an ebook as well, uh, which is called Behind the Vault, uh, that is there. And of course, your documentary, for those of you who may not be in the last class, there's a documentary, When the Moors Ruled in Europe, that is done by Bethany Hughes. Okay, so these are some of uh, some suggestions uh, for further reading uh, for those who want to take it uh, a step further. Okay, so I want to open up the floor. Uh, for any questions that anybody may have. And we'll go back here <coughs> and see. So these are some of the questions one asked about the books, but, you know, the, the easy, the best one to get, you know, clearest, and uh, Islam in Andalus, Ahmed Thompson. He's British Muslim, um, but Ahmed Thompson, uh, for Christ's sake, can also give you a background uh, as well. Excellent uh, work. Okay, and 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 some of the other names uh, that I gave. So we want to go and see if there's any other questions uh, that anybody has. And this becomes. Um, Another important pivot, another change uh, in the world. And inshallah, we will go on uh, to the fourth pivot. Uh, this is one which you can easily uh, follow up. And to see what is left, the Alhambra uh, Palace is still there in Granada. The Jami Masjid uh, in Cordoba is there. So you can literally go back. It's a cathedral. You got to respect the cathedral. But the people of uh, Cordoba loved it so much that when the Christian rulers eventually took over through the corruption of the Muslims, um, they wanted to destroy it. But the people said, "No. You can easily destroy it, but you will never be able to build back something as beautiful as this." And the arches that are there are still being replicated. Uh, in masjids throughout the Muslim world. It, it's an amazing place. And it, it's something that you need to see, uh, you know, after you go to Mecca, Medina, Jerusalem, <clears throat> not religiously, but historically, uh, you need to visit. Okay, so final um, point. Any other questions uh, anybody has uh, there? Okay. So, you know, keep your questions and write them down for the next class. And we'll come to a conclusion. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaqfuruku wa natubu ilaiku wa akhra da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.
Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.